Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my daughter and co-host, Lauren Simonian, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, hello, Lauren. Hi, Dad. How you been? Good. How about you? I've been fine. Thank you. Excellent. Do you happen to know today's title? I know that today we're talking about sleep, but I don't know the perfected title yet. Ah, well, let me give it to you. This is, uh, this is the formal title for today. Improving your sleep, interpreting your dreams, and having more energy. <laughs> I love it. This is such a fun topic. Yeah, I would love to have more energy. And if I, if you, if you see I'm tailing off, just you know, just snap your fingers and just say energy, energy, and wake me up. Oh, okay. Now listen, I want I want to start out today a little bit differently. I want to I want to play a few bars of a song, and I want to see if you recognize it. Okay. Name uh, that tune. Well, yeah, kind of. Are you up? For, are you up for this now? You know I'm great at this game, right? All right. All right. So <laughs> here we go. Put on your earphones and listen up. Okay. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Hmm, it sounds very familiar. Is this the song? Is it called the, the Sandman? It's, it's called Mr. Sandman. Mr. Sandman. You know who the Sandman is? The Sandman is. I don't know for sure, but I think it's some fictional character that visits. No, no he's, he's real. He's real. <laughs> uh, it's a real man that comes with a <laughs> he's the, he's pile the guy of that, sand. Yeah, he, he's at the beach every every summer. But he does. No, what no. Is he, he assists. <laughs> no, who is the Sandman? God, you were close. I'm sorry. I cut you off. And now I'm thinking of the guy at the beach that sets up the chairs. <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's a fictional character that assists with sleep. So but, he, oh, you got it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, okay. he, he puts magical sand in the eyes of young children to help them sleep and uh, to have pleasant dreams. Hmm. Now, th the reason I wanted to start out with Mr. Sandman is because in our brains, there really is a Sandman. Oh, so, am I spooking you? A little bit. <laughs> and the Sandman has a name, and he's called Adenosine. Adenosine is the go-to-sleep neurotransmitter. So that's the Mr. Sandman in your brain that says, go to sleep, relax, you're drowsy. That's exactly how he talks, by the way. Huh. And is he a male figure in everyone's Well, mind? yes, because the song was Mr. Sandman. I don't I want see. it to be sexist. But but in, in every woman and girl, it's Ms. Sandman. Aha, that's what I was getting well, at. Well, shouldn't okay. it be Ms. Sandperson then? Yes. Okay. 
So there is this, well, let's just for the sake of the song, let's just keep it Mr. Sandman for simplicity. Am I confusing you already? Not at all. Because I'm really confused. So <laughs> adenosine is a neurotransmitter. That's a chemical in your brain. And it's got one purpose, and that's to tell you, go to sleep, right? Mm. So while we are awake, adenosine starts to accumulate hour by hour by hour. So if this is the go to sleep chemical, so every hour of the day, it's starting to speak a little louder, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And by, by around eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, it's yelling at you, go to sleep. And you're starting to get so drowsy, you can't keep your, your eyes awake. Hmm. And when you do go to sleep, what happens to adenosine, Mr. Sandman? Well, the levels start to decrease during sleep and lo and behold, when Mr. Sandman gets diminished, we start to wake up. Hmm. So that, that must be linked very closely to our circadian rhythms, right? Yes. And those are the 24-hour clocks that we live by, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The circadian rhythm, I guess, is what helps us to know the difference between day and night and to have that. What is that chemical called? Our... Well, melatonin is, is the most prominent. No, the chemical thing. you were just referring to, oh, Mr. Adenosine. Sandman's name. Adenosine. Adenosine. Yeah. Yeah. What helps me know the the difference between day and night is the sun. And then when the sun goes away, I know it's night. So I don't need uh, my circadian rhythms to tell me that. <laughs> yeah, but they do say that you should be very aware of, of those things during the day because a lot of people are in office spaces or ah. places where the the lighting is not quite bright enough. That's and so fair. they say, make sure that there's bright light exposure, whether sunlight or artificial light during the day. And yeah. then also to like prepare your sleep space with a dark, yes. darker as you're getting ready to go to sleep. Now that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, so daylight, you know, I guess that's also why in the low light of winter where there's less daylight, uh, it probably plays havoc with our uh, circadian rhythms. I'm also thinking about uh, people that work night shifts or, or police officers that, that have to go from a day shift to a night shift. You know, these circadian rhythms can be juggled around and can be rearranged, but it, it, it takes some, some effort. So one of the things that, that I learned by having a 24 hour clock is to try to try to establish you know, regular sleep daytime habits. Uh, when you vary your, your sleep time, you're really working against yourself. Isn't it, isn't it important to have regular hours and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. And as someone who struggled with sleep in a very big way for a few years, um, I learned a lot about the things that you can do to improve your sleep actually happen mostly while you're awake. So I know that at night, sometimes it's difficult to try and fall asleep and it doesn't work. And then that creates like a low level of anxiety of I'm trying to fall asleep and I can't, and now I'm going to be tired again. And you just kind of like count the minutes that go by. And I, I learned that actually a lot of the things that you can do to help yourself happen long before you actually lay down in bed. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the worst thing you can do if you have trouble falling asleep is to say to yourself, I need to fall asleep. Uh, that is the kiss of death if you're trying to fall asleep, because now you're adding anxiety and stress. I've got to get to sleep if I've got to get up. I've only got four more hours. 
And, and, you know, so I think it's important to just get in touch with the sensations of the body and not focus on the mind. Because I kind of have that feeling that when we start to think about trying to fall asleep, even counting sheep and stuff like that, I kind of think we're, we're, we're firing off neurons in our brain. We're kind of activating the brain with thinking. I like to, I, when I try to fall asleep, if I'm having any difficulty, I try not to count those sheep, no offense. But uh, <laughs> but but uh, I just think that just by getting in touch with the body, the breathing, feeling where where I feel fatigue, and not thinking about it, but just kind of sensing those feelings helps me a lot better than mm. thinking about it. Yeah, and and I think the one the one thought that's helpful, I think you taught me, you told me about this a long while back, is that even if you're not sleeping as long as you're resting and relaxing you're still getting some of the benefit of if you were really asleep so instead of beating yourself up for not fall having fallen asleep yet you can just reassure yourself that as long as you're laying and your eyes are closed and you're just trying to relax that at least you're getting some of the benefit it's not like you're wasting your yeah. time yeah and that's one way to just get away from i have to sleep i have to sleep by by just realizing that relaxation is part of the restoration process, the flushing out of the Sandman adenosine. Oh, by the way, you're, you're a big coffee drinker, aren't you? Mm, yes. You, I, you, you're you drinking about 30, 40 cups a day? <laughs> On average. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you know that, that, you know why caffeine works? It stimulates your yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> actually what it does is it blocks adenosine. So remember I said the adenosine builds up hour by hour by hour, you're getting drowsy. Well, caffeine actually blocks the effect of adenosine, which increases wakefulness. So, you know, the, it's, it's really uh, important to understand that uh, if you're going to have caffeine late at night, you can't go north and south at the same time. You can't go to sleep and, and block adenosine because that's go to sleep, go to sleep chemical. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to cut down to maybe 30 cups a day. and you'll be, Yeah, yeah, you'll I could be try better. to do that. Yeah, I know. I remember, well, when I was in college, I used to drink coffee at all hours of the day and night, and I never had any sort of reaction to it. Um, but more recently, if I drink coffee, even after two o'clock, it'll affect yeah. me still at, at night. Yeah, well, what happens if, if you over-caffeinate yourself, uh, what happens is you're building up so much adenosine that's that's just it's like a dam. It's all piling up and piling up. So it doesn't get flushed out completely during the night. That's why you wake up feeling groggy and not rested, because the adenosine is still, you know, swimming around there in your brain. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. No, I have to wake up. Go to sleep. <laughs> so it's a, it's a real tug of war. Yeah, the other thing too I've heard is that alcohol also can really disrupt sleep patterns. So I think limiting alcohol is a, is a suggested tool That's also. Right. And large meals, the digestive oh, right. process. Yeah, so okay, caffeine, alcohol, large mm -hmm. meals. These are uh, not sleep enhancers. Yeah, and blue light, which of course nowadays we're all exposed to. Uh, yeah, they say two hours before bed, you shouldn't be exposed to any blue light. So what, what's blue light? Blue light comes from TV, computer, phone, oh. uh, any electronic really. So some ways around that would be to use uh, glasses that have like a blue 
blue light um, filter in them. And also phones and computers now, you can download apps that have blue light filters. So if you have to be working late at night, you can use the filter so that at least when you're finished working, you won't have to wait two hours to filter out all that activity. For all the baby boomers out there, that was a millennial admission that uh, we we as boomers have no idea what blue light is and now we know you you're amazing you know all this stuff we don't know this stuff you do (laughs) yeah yeah so blue light i okay i'm adding that to the list so we have blue light caffeine what else did we say you said don't eat too much much. in the evening oh Um, oh and also regular exercise they say is great but you can't do it, or you can't, you shouldn't do it too close to bedtime because it, it will sort of activate different parts of your brain and different chemicals and hormones. So you want to try and exercise daily, but uh, during the during the day, so not in the late evening. Mm. Yeah, and, and exercise, I've always heard that in particular aerobic exercises is really a, a great uh, kind of sleep enhancer. Mm-hmm. You know, it does it does produce endorphins, which which you know have a stimulating and positive effect, but not too close to sleep. Some people do well exercising just before sleep. I, I guess. usually I usually like to run about thirty miles before sleep, and it really works for me. Huh. Well then, <laughs> that'll really tire you out. Oh no! Oh no! Those those thirty miles are in my sleep. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's funny because sleep has become sort of a hot topic, I think, in a lot of like the newer weight loss apps, um, any any one that you would to go to download, there's a section obviously for food and exercise, but now almost all of them have a sleep section as well, because they are, you know, understanding that sleep has such an important part to health, but also to weight loss and to controlling your weight. <laughs> um, and I know also like a lot of famous athletes like Tom Brady, for instance, he talks publicly a lot about his sleep schedule and he talks about it as if it is just as important as his practicing workout and things like that. So I really, I really subscribe to that. I, I, I think that's, that's really important. You know, we are creatures of habit. And, and I think that especially if you have difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, the more you, you develop sleep habits, you know, just getting to bed at a regular time, getting those, you know, we do need uh, seven to eight hours of sleep. The more regular we become, I think it works and enhances our ability to get the proper sleep. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I know for me, a few years back, I had like some anxiety just in terms of, it was like a low level anxiety, just about life in general, which I think everyone has to some degree. And what I didn't realize was that when I wasn't getting enough sleep, it was adding to that anxiety during the day because it's proven that a lack of sleep actually increases feelings of anxiety and depression. And unfortunately, once you're in that state, it's harder to get into a healthy rhythm. But what I learned and what I think is so interesting is that sleep is actually the most vulnerable thing that you can do. Because when you allow yourself to fall asleep, you're turning off all of your defenses and you're no longer able to control. And so biochemically, they, they say it's, it's, it's a vulnerable space to allow your brain to rest. And so one of the things that I learned for myself that really helps is to create 
sort of a sleep plan, which includes all of the things we were talking about earlier, but also um, it includes a ways to sort of soothe your nervous system so that the anxiety, the, the anxiety can actually relax so that you can drift off into sleep. Do you want me to tell you what I put into the plan? No, not really. All right, fine. Now you'll never know. <laughs> Please go ahead. <laughs> um, well, okay. So for me, it involved sort of incorporating all of the senses, like trying to soothe the senses. And so in addition to making sure that the electronics were turned off and the room was really dark with blackout curtains and things like that, and there was not a lot of noise, what I did incorporate was like electronic candles I had turned on that I had a timer on them. So instead of having bright light, I would have like this like nice soothing space. And then I had, um, I actually used aromatherapy, like the lavender relaxation sense. I got like one of those heavy weighted blankets that are really soft. And what else did I do? Um, <laughs> I'm just marveling. Why are you laughing? These are all millennial solutions, you know, electronic because... candles and but it's the sounds and the sense and the texture. Oh, no, no, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I'm just being facetious. But yeah, it's 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 all these things do matter. The environment that you sleep in. I like what you said about uh, we are most vulnerable when we go to sleep. One of the things that is intriguing is is you're absolutely correct that we are most vulnerable, but there's something in us that is not entirely asleep. I don't know how to describe that, but the slightest change, you know, like a creaking door opens or you, you hear a thud or, you know, and we're awake, you know, it's almost like our minds don't totally shut down, even though it's, it appears that way. When you, when you were an infant, for example, if you would cry, uh, there wasn't a moment where I had to say, is there something wrong? You, know, you just knew it and you were, you were awake and you, you know, to take care of things. So, and it's, it's also like when, 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 you know, you have to wake up at a certain time, somehow we, we, we can program, or maybe we do program ourselves to know when things in our environment are safe and sound and any anomaly tends to penetrate that, that's, that's, that slumber and really wake us up to a more of an alert state. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I guess, consciously, or no, I guess more subconsciously, it is, it's not really vulnerable. It's just, it, it's the, the vulnerability comes from taking a mind that has been working and, and trying to protect you with countless thoughts throughout the day, and then trying to let go of those thoughts. So to allow yourself to get into a relaxed state of mind that allows you to fall asleep is really difficult for people mm -hmm. that are constantly on overdrive with their thinking, which yeah. is why soothing your senses actually can help. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's, uh, I think you are, maybe, maybe a better way to put it is you are relatively more vulnerable, but not totally vulnerable. Because I guess being survival machines that we are, we, we had to know if uh, we heard a tigers, a saber-toothed tiger footsteps coming close, even while we're asleep. And if we didn't have that capacity to be alert on some level, we would be a tiger food. So, sure. Yeah, so sleep is, it's, it's an interesting, very interesting phenomenon. I just want to mention something that has intrigued me for years, and I don't have a complete 
answer or, or definition. Uh, it is called the pre-nagogic state. Ever hear of that? No. But I know you've experienced it. What that is, you're lying down, you're trying to go to sleep. And well, let me let me tell it with an example. Last night I was trying to fall asleep. I was reading a book on ancient Rome. And I'm reading the words in the book, and I'm reading about the forum. And all of a sudden, I'm walking in the forum. So there was this transition from reading to walking in the forum where I went from consciousness, semi-consciousness to unconsciousness. And the pre-nagogic state is that in-between state between dream and wakefulness. And I find it so fascinating because I think if we can just transition or work to get to that transitional point, we could fall asleep easier. I wish I had a technique to give you to do that. But, but if anyone finds it, let me know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know but it's, it's, you've had that experience? Yeah, yeah for sure. That, that transitional state, it's so weird because you're, you're still awake enough to know that, hey, wait a second, who was just giving me that thought? <laughs> that was me. It's yeah, crazy. I've, I've had that experience, but also I've had a lot of experience with sleepwalking, which is similar in that you're partially awake because you can navigate your environment without getting hurt, with, with knowing exactly what you're doing. But it's like almost an alternate reality that you're doing it in. So you're half dreaming, you're half. It's you like a pre-nagogic movement. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a try to describe when you're sleepwalking. You, you know where the doorknob is, you know where the steps are. Yeah, uh, I'm almost hyper aware of those things when I'm sleepwalking. So you integrate them into the dream world? Is that what happens? Yeah, yeah. But once I wake up, I it's funny, like I, I know growing up, I slept walk a lot in our home. And I, when I was sleepwalking, I there was no way that I knew where I actually was, even though I had lived every day of my life in that house. So in, in my dream, I was in a totally different state in another place. And yet I was still navigating the environment and it would take me a long time after I came back or, or came back, woke up to realize that all of those places I had oh, just excuse, walked. Excuse or, me, Lauren, this is a dream right now. Yeah. I went through that for a long time too, like trying to figure out what was real and when was I dreaming? And a lot of times I actually, in my dreams would often ask myself like, wait a minute, is this real? And I would have to go through a list of things that would help me check whether or not I was sleepwalking or sleeping. But luckily now it doesn't happen quite as much, but it was interesting. Do you remember uh, the technique you and I tried? Yeah. From a parental standpoint, it was devastating um, because you know you walking around in this dream world is it's kind of frightening to, for someone to observe that so you and i decided that let's let's try to do something about this and you remember the little bracelet yeah the bracelet had like a little jingle on it so when wow. i heard the jingle it was supposed to wake me from sleep but i think the thing that really worked was it wasn't so much the jingle it was a painting i had in my bedroom and it was only specific to me. Like I, I knew it didn't exist anywhere else, this painting. It was an artist who had made it just for me. Mm -hmm. And so when I was sleeping, if I couldn't find that painting, 
or I'm sorry, when I was sleepwalking, if I could find that painting, then I knew I was in my room. And yeah. then I would actually talk myself out of it and tell myself, there's no way that you are awake. Like there's this painting yeah. and so you have to come back. Yeah, that uh, that did work, didn't it? Yeah, we used to write, I remember when I would go away to camp, we would write notes on the door that said like, hello, Lauren, if you try to open this door, you are sleepwalking. And I would just, you know, read it and walk right past. Didn't that happen at basketball camp or something? Oh, yeah, I wound up in the middle of South Orange. Like, I almost got arrested by the police there because they didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, I've, I've been in a lot of compromising situations. So how, how long does it have, in terms of length, sleepwalking can last for some time then? I guess so. I mean, I, I I don't know because time is really mm -hmm. hard to tell when you're sleeping, as you know. But yeah, I mean, I've been in situations where I've woken up in places I don't know where I was. And so I wandered from one location to another and time must have passed. Yeah, my favorite was when I was at the beach when I was a kid and I <laughs> slept walk into my friend's grandmother's bedroom and got into bed with her. <laughs> And she was so scared, but oh my gosh. Yeah, th there are a lot of weird things that happened. Is that behind you now, the sleepwalking? Yeah, I haven't done it in a long time. Honestly, since I started doing the all the relaxation stuff before sleep, I think that my mind was just so active trying to process what happened during the day, which I think is partially what dreams are, right? It's like a processing of your emotions that haven't yeah. been processed yet. Yeah, we're going to get into dreams in a little bit. But I'm still curious with the the sleepwalking. So, so you, this was something that plagued you for a long time, and this relaxation that you do, uh, it quiets you down enough. So the, the hyperstimulation was something that you would say would be contributing to the sleepwalking. Yeah, I think so. I, it must. What have about been the thirty because... cups of coffee? Yeah, well, maybe that too. No, but I slept off since I was a little kid, so. Oh, you drank a lot of coffee as a kid. Oh, gosh, well, that's your, your fault. In your bottle. <laughs> I did uh, not. <laughs> so you bring, up, um, you bring up dreams. Let's talk a little bit about dreams. What, 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 when you say, when we dream, everybody dreams, whether you, it's, you, everyone dreams. And people may not recall their dreams, but uh, they're there and they occur every single night. What, when you think of a dream, what, how would you describe dreaming? Hmm. I guess seeing yourself in an alternate time-space mm -hmm. reality. Okay. Well, you're not alone with any confusion. I mean, Freudians called it wish fulfillment. Jungians called it the archetypal images of the collective unconscious. Adlerians called it addressing your inferiority. Uh, let me give you my, my take on it. This is the self-coaching take and see what you think. I think it's a symbolic, because there are symbols, dreams, we, we dream in symbols. It's a symbolic, emotional depiction of what we bring to bed with us. And when I say what we bring to bed with us, I'm talking about the previous 24 hours. If you really want to interpret a dream, your best shot is what's been going on the 24 hours preceding that dream. And these would be the unresolved conscious or unconscious struggles. So my advice to anyone wanting to try to figure out their dreams is take a look at what precedes the dream, what you were going through, and realize that dreams are like poetry. You know, they need to be interpreted. Always, always remember your interpretation or anyone's interpretation is always speculative. 
Do you like my view, Freud, Carl Jung, or Alfred Adler's view? Please say mine. Please say mine. Probably Alfred Adler. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yes, for sure. I like yours the best. Your mic would have been cut off at that point had you said anything else. <laughs> Which, so, you know, before we got on doing our podcast today, you mentioned lucid dreams. Mm. Did you, did you, was there a reference you wanted to? Um, well, I mean, I've had a few, I've had like every weird type of sleep thing that's possible, uh, like sleep paralysis and well, always... wait, what, what's the sleep paralysis? I, I'm not sleep familiar. Sleep paralysis is when you wake up, but you can't move your body. So you wake up from your dream and your eyes are open, oh. but your body is frozen. Oh, I, I had a sleep paralysis. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a long time ago, but it was the most terrifying thing that it ever happened. It is really scary. Yeah. I, I was, I somehow rolled out of bed and I dropped the two feet, two and a half feet to the floor and not very comfortably either. But in the dream, I dropped off a platform, a subway platform onto the tracks, but I had paralysis and I couldn't move and the train was coming. Huh. And wow. And, and guess what happened? What? I woke up oh yeah yeah just, well that's the good thing about time. dreams the good thing about dreams is you don't usually uh see the end of but things those those <laughs> dreams that are so vivid when i was in college let me tell you another story i was i was a pole vaulter as you know and i dislocated my elbow on a jump now for years i would tell people about that story didn't happen that was a dream I had no idea that was a dream that was so real, so mm. vivid, so lucid that for maybe 10 years after that. And then one day I realized that that could not have happened because I never missed a track practice, never missed a track meet. So, you know, the thing was that it just was incorporated into my consciousness as part of my history when it never took place. Had yeah. that ever happened to you? Yes, it has. <laughs> Remember when I was little and I was telling you about the pet cemetery that we went to? <laughs> I don't remember the specifics of it, but I remember you and mom telling me how I was crazy and like that never happened. And I'm so certain that we as a family, <laughs> I mean, I realize it sounds ridiculous now, but we went on a trip to go visit the pet cemetery in well, Tuxedo Lauren, Park. Every Thursday night, what do you think we did as a family? <laughs> see you play mind games with me pack, pack up the car <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i do remember oh the pet cemetery Oof, man yeah dreams, dreams can be really challenging sometimes yeah and dreams it's the sleepwalking thing is interesting because i think for someone who sleepwalks there's some sort of trigger in the mind that's not fully turned off. So i think everybody actually probably experiences like very vivid dreams that they might not remember but I think the sleepwalker it really acts them out mm -hmm. so it's like everybody probably has you know similar trajectories of their dream but I actually yeah. uh, you know was in real time like the trigger in my brain that makes your body turn off um didn't happen for me yeah yeah and it's a lot of time you know there are good dreams of course but we're, we're talking about the problematic dreams and I guess the most problematic would be nightmares. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a terrifying experience. People do die in their sleep. The heart rate can soar. I mean, it's if you're if you're being attacked by a, a grizzly bear, um, 
bears. Remember that from last week? Yes. If, you, if, you, if you're being attacked by a grizzly bear, your body is chemically reacting to that. If you have a weak heart or some, you know, your heart rate can go up to 240 beats a minute. Yeah, you know. I did hear that they've done brain studies on people who are sleeping and the amygdala that, you know, the other parts of your brain, like your, the prefrontal cortex, where all like the reasoning and problem solving happens, turns really, really low. Like there's not much activity, but the amygdala, the emotional center of your brain is in overdrive. So there's a lot of chemicals being processed in your body. Um, trying to sort of sort out emotions from the day. Yeah, those are the fight-flight chemicals, cortisol, adrenaline. And and sometimes we wake up exhausted. Did you ever have that feeling? Like, And, and I always say, well, you know, maybe you expended that energy in a terrifying uh, anxiety dream. or And, you know, sometimes we just don't get that restful sleep. It's not that we're not dreaming, but perhaps the dreams themselves have this depleting uh, chemical effect on us. Yeah. And have you ever had a dream where there's somebody who, do who does something that hurts you and it's so terrible and then you wake up the next day and you're like kind of mad at that person, even though they didn't <laughs> do it in real life? <laughs> I've never had that. <laughs> well, I have. Well, was it ever your father? Uh, no, thankfully. Okay. Yeah, dreams dreams are strange. Oh, well, uh, my lucid dream, I didn't get to tell you about. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, and go right ahead. My lucid dream was super cool. This was like the one that's really vivid. I, it was a few years ago, I was dreaming that I was at Lingren Summer Camp, which was where I had went when I was a kid, and then also was like a camp counselor for years. So I'm very familiar with the space. And I was there and there was something terrible happening. Um, I remember people were sort of like falling over. I don't remember exactly why, but the, people were it hurt. There were people kind of dropping dead all around me. And it was a weird scene. And I remember looking around and none of that felt strange in my dream. It was just terrifying. But then what I noticed is that there, there was snow on the ground. And I had this like internal realization in my dream that said, I've never been at Lingren when it wasn't the summertime. And so I, I trusted in my dream that that was true. And once I realized that, I knew I was dreaming. And so I started actually giving myself commands to change the dream. Uh -huh. And so I like rescued all the people and then, you know, went flying and did like all these awesome things. And then you uh, went to the pet cemetery. Yeah, I think that's a real place. <laughs> so, but See, I like what you're saying, though, is that you knew who you were in the dream. That's that's the, the, one of the qualities of a lucid dream. And then you tried to you know reconstruct, you know, a, a reality. So I remember a dream where uh, this person was telling me a riddle and and I couldn't figure out the riddle. And finally that person gave me the punchline and it was pretty funny. Now, how the heck can you not know something in your mind and then find out and then know something? That see, that that just blows my mind. Yeah. That the unconscious is is something that we know so little about. And by definition, of course, the unconscious is unknowable. But it, it is it is a force that influences our consciousness. And dreaming is just one one aspect of the unconscious. Mm -hmm. Now, we we do need to dream because, as I said, dreaming not only flushes out the uh, the wake up chemicals, but it also is important for emotional stability and, and maintenance, mood balance. We, we don't know exactly what dream and sleeping accomplishes. But I remember in college, now this may have changed because I went to college six centuries ago, 
But back then, I remember reading about a study where they deprived people from dreaming. See, when you sleep, you don't always dream. And the way that they more or less pick up dreaming is the fluttering of the eyes. It's called rapid eye movement. And and if you if you wake someone up every time they're having a rapid eye movement, thereby preventing them from dreaming, what this study said, and I'm not sure if it's been refuted or not, but what this study happened to say was that within a short period of time, a few weeks, three weeks, the the people that were deprived of, of dreaming were starting to show psychotic symptoms, delusions, mm. persecutions, paranoia. So so dreaming does seem to have a very positive cleansing effect on the psyche. And, and I, I would guess it's, it's true today that dreaming and sleep are part of our psychic uh, and bodily physiological uh, kind of maintenance that we do every night. And now here's a question for you. In your whole lifetime, how, how many hours would you say, or, or, or days would you say that you spend sleeping as opposed to wakefulness? Sleeping or dreaming? Sleeping. Ah, um, I don't know. I'd say like a third of the hours sleeping and two thirds awake. What would you say? Months that you you spend months sleeping in a lifetime? The hours of sleep. I would think years. Month? Years. Very good. Five to six years of your life is spent. Wow. Sleeping. Yeah. So. So it's, it is such a valuable uh, aspect of our physiology, of our psychology, that you know, we're constructed to, to need and crave that sleep. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sleeping, I guess, also restores the body too. Because it says that you know, when, you sleep, when you get enough hours of sleep, you're also your reaction time and your like, physical performance improves. So the mind and the body benefit. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. When you are sleep deprived, everything seems to suffer, uh, even these podcasts. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I had a good night's sleep last night. <laughs> yeah, because good sleep improves concentration and productivity mm. and memory, too. So but adults need they say eight hours of sleep. And I, I know they've done studies um, on people who had gotten less than eight hours of sleep. And it's remarkable the difference between, like, especially with the immune function, people that got seven hours of sleep or less were three times more likely to catch a cold or another virus than someone who got <laughs> six, oh, oh, full eight hours. <laughs> Bless just, you. Please, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, but just that one hour difference makes a huge change. And I know so many people that, you know, prioritize their work or their to-do list over getting enough sleep. And it's so counterproductive because they'll only get five or six hours of sleep because they want to wake up to go to the gym or do whatever before work starts. And in the end, they're actually fighting against themselves uh, because when you don't get enough sleep, all the other things are not working the way they, they should. That's a good point. I also recall that going back to the environment of our sleep, that it's a it's a good thing to keep the room a little bit cooler. Yes. The temperature is. Although important. you made fun of my sleep environment. Yeah. No, I don't think I'm going to share my battery-operated <laughs> candles with you. <laughs> Technology, 
you know how I am with uh, updates on my phone and and things that turn on and off and batteries and speaking of uh phones you could also i mean you don't want the blue light on but before falling asleep they have awesome apps like the calm app and headspace that have sleep stories Mm -hmm. that are really cool because the people who read them read them at a like with a certain tonation and they've actually done studies on like how many words per minute actually help the brain to start relaxing and so they talk in a really like therapeutic and deliberate way so the story itself doesn't really matter but it's the it's this tone of their voice that like lulls you sort of like a hypnosis and what was so, the name of that those apps repeat that the calm app the calm and headspace so well i think i think we covered a lot of ground and it was kind of fun because you know we're talking about a lot of our own personal uh, connection to dreams and everyone's connection is rather personal. And I'm sure everyone can relate to nightmares and lucid dreams and all this kind of stuff. But it is important to take sleep very seriously. And and I think one of the things that I guess I would conclude with today is is that you really, oh, wait a second, Lauren. Do you know what what time it is? Oh gosh. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what time it is. It's time for a self-coaching pep talk. And it's time to take your slumber into your own hands. And you can begin by getting some exercise every day. Moderate aerobic exercise increases the amount of deep sleep, stabilizes your mood, and decompresses the mind. In the hours leading up to sleep, initiate a stimulus wind-down. Rather than firing up and stimulating your brain, calm down your thinking. Whether it's computers, cell phones, or other electronic devices, when it comes to winding down, less is more. Find ways to neutralize your mood and relax your body. And whatever you do, limit or abstain from nighttime caffeine, alcohol, and large meals. And remember, we're creatures of habit. Establish a realistic bedtime along with a regular bed ritual. Your mind and your body will realize you're winding down. Pleasant dreams. Ooh, I like that. So Lauren, any closing remarks? Well, closing remarks, I would say, yeah, I just say sweet dreams, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wish, I wish you all a... It's very, that's very distracting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I I don't really have too many closing remarks other than thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Namaste. Have a great week. Yeah. Have a great week. See you next Monday. See you next Monday. If not sooner. Okay. I hope so. And visit our website, selfcoaching.net where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And while you're there, check out my latest number one best-selling book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you are not powerless. Remember. Everything is hard until you make it simple. So join Lauren and me every week 
and let's make it simple together. Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, life is what you make of it. Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams.